okay, this is different. Just being barefoot adds a new element of challenge and difficulty and sense of awareness of my body that I had never fully embraced. I was kind of just like going back to different spots. Like, okay, I think I can do this, 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 this. So I'm kind of like figuring out what I can do barefoot and what I can't. And that in itself has been a whole process. It's the technique changes, how you land changes, how you absorb, how your body reacts to landings change. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Evolve Move Play podcast. This week, I'm super excited to share my conversation with Matt Jang with you. Matt is an amazing mover, and you're going to really get a lot out of this conversation. However, there's something on the Evolve Move Play front that we need to share before we move on to the episode, which is that you can sign up for one of our retreats right now. So if you know anything about Evolve Move Play, you probably know that we offer week-long and uh, longer retreats that are at the center point of what we do. It's where we bring together the combination of movement, mindfulness, nature, connection, and community in the full spectrum of movement from body integrity practices to body to environment practices to body to object practices and body to body practices. There is no other event that covers this full holistic ecology of practices like what we do. And it's become something that's attracting people from all over the world even academics who are coming to look at what we're doing, as well as some of the best parkour athletes in the world. But it doesn't matter what your current level of skill is, you're welcome. We have had people at every level, and our method works really well for spanning gaps of skill. So if you're interested in joining us and experiencing what Evolve Move Play is all about for yourself, you want to go ahead and jump on an application call with me sometime in the next couple of weeks. The early bird discount for... Um, Spring Retreat and Return to the Source is ending on March 1st, and Return to the Source is almost sold out already. There's only two spots left, and I expect that as you're listening to this, it's going to be getting close to a sellout. So if you don't want any chance on getting on it, you need to get on an application call and talk to me in the next couple of days. So I look forward to hearing from many of you and enjoying your presence at our event. These are small events with only 20 people. Um, and five coaches, as well as two staff who help take care of you. So small, intimate event. It's an extraordinary experience of going deep into the wilds of the nature here in Northwest Washington and into a movement practice unlike anything else. So if you love what Evolve Move Play is all about, jump on a call and see if an event is right for you this year. I hope to speak to you soon. Without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Matt Jang. Matt, nice to meet you. Nice to finally get a chance to talk to you. Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. Yeah, cool. It's uh, good to be here. Good to finally meet you and uh, talk face to face virtually, <laughs> but you know, it'll do. Yeah, you've uh, you've been uh, coming up to uh, the Northwest the last few years, and we just have kind of missed each other. Um, so that's too bad. So hopefully this year we'll get to uh, get to jump around in the trees together. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. So, yeah, um, let's just kind of start with your background. My understanding is you, you've you been doing parkour for quite a long time now, like 15 plus years. I think this is the beginning. I started in 2008, so I think this is my 15th year. Yeah. 15th year, okay. So it's, it's, it's been a minute. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And you started in Hong Kong. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. So you started in Hong Kong. You're training out there. You got involved in, it seemed like there was a team that you were involved in or a project called For the Love of the City. Oh, yeah. Um, not really a team, but 
Um, let's see, how do I start? Uh, in Hong Kong, back in the day, there weren't too many videos or just groups of people doing parkour. And I was watching videos of, you know, the London guys, Urban Free Flow, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, it'd be cool to showcase what people in Hong Kong were doing. I didn't really know anyone. So I was like, okay, I'll just film some of my stuff. I think I was uh, two, just two years in or so. And I was like, you know, I never really liked the city until I found parkour. So I was like, okay, I made a YouTube channel. It's like, okay, what do I call it? Like, you know, I'll call it fourth love of the city because parkour was, yeah. you know, my newfound love for the city. And I started making videos and then made some compilations and they, uh, a few of them kind of took off in the community and yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. So I mean, what I've kind of seen is I've known your name for a long time as somebody who's in the community who's a very skillful athlete, but sometime in the last, I don't know, two years, like your, your profile kind of exploded mm-hmm. and it was, uh, I was looking back through and I really associated with you as, like taking on moving in nature, which is really cool. Cause that's obviously my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been fun to watch you and Leo urban sort of just like, blow up through that mm-hmm. but i was looking back through your instagram and i noticed that it's um there's a lot of urban stuff still but really kind of a specialization in ascents and descents mm-hmm. and then obviously you've gone to the barefoot and bare-chested mm-hmm. kind of have an iconic brand appearance uh-huh. now that's yeah. <laughs> that's associated with you so yeah. it's just kind of interesting because i remember you as the for the love of the city guy and traveling mm-hmm doing that and then yeah. kind of took this other tack which has been really successful for you in building uh, awareness of what you're doing mm-hmm. um, you know i think you're probably one of the bigger instagram channels right now for mm-hmm. um, getting featured in all sorts of interesting spaces as the real life tarzan type so yeah. how did that, how did that yeah. evolution happen was that strategic were you trying to like find a little bit of a, a unique brand to try and go mm-hmm. grab your yeah. profile or was it just Mm-hmm. that's what you got into and yeah. happened to fit where the algorithm was. Yeah. Yeah. I get this. I get this question asked of me a lot. And um, <clears throat> I feel like my response is always a little different because there's, there's so many, there's so many factors. There's so many um, angles to which led me to be on this journey. But I think from the beginning, from the beginning of my training, I'd always been training barefoot to a degree Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't film it because, you know, when I first started, I had, you know, I looked up to the Europeans, you know, the baggy sweats, the <laughs> moving in, you know, really urban environments. And so those were the movements or um, the style, the look that I aspired to, you know, to be like, to achieve. And I really pushed those things, which were really great at the time. <clears throat> and a lot of my barefoot stuff would you know, I would train barefoot warming up and then eventually put my shoes on. And then, you know, I obviously had sweats on and a shirt on, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that. So I was always training barefoot. And in addition to that, um, if I look back on my 15 years of training, they've come in kind of waves. My first few years were, you know, big power moves all i wanted to do was see how far i could you know precision jump see how far i could concat 
on three, just one move, but I had zero flow. So after a number of years of that, you know, I would train with some guys who, you know, didn't have big jumps, but they would have like amazing flow. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, big jumps, you know, they're, they're practical to some sense, but like, if I can't move through an environment well and fluidly, then those big jumps kind of like don't really matter because it's all about when you're doing those big jumps, you're spacing yourself out perfectly so you can do that one move. Mm-hmm. But if you're faced with a number of obstacles, you're going to have to be a little more, um, how would you put it, intuitive with your movement or instinctual rather than, okay, I'm going to have these many steps before this big jump here or there. You know, it's like I have three obstacles, I have to move between them fast and efficiently with fluidity. <clears throat> and so, the next few years I focused on flow. So I wasn't doing as many big jumps. I was um, just moving through environments as fluidly as I could using, you know, transitional movements, using a lot of, taking a lot of inspiration from um, Foskey, from a lot of the gut guys, uh, Spanish guys in particular, lots of flow. <clears throat> and uh, after that season, I went through I was watching German parkour videos all the time. And they were doing all these very technical, specific, you know, strange landings, all sorts of things. So I went through a season of doing that. And then after that, I went through a season of kind of, okay, I have all these pieces to the puzzle. Let me combine all those things. And um, I did that for a number of years. And I had traveled quite a bit all over the world and taking bits of inspiration from a lot of different places. And then in 2019, I came back from being here for about six months. Being where? I was in Europe. Oh, in Europe. Okay, cool. Yeah. And um, I was looking for maybe I don't even know if I was looking, but I think a part of me was looking for something different. I had felt like I'd experimented with a lot of different styles and movement techniques, and I wanted to find something else. And I'd been training in Hawaii for mm-hmm. quite a while and all the challenges I had done there, you know, I would go to a spot and, you know, I wouldn't have any inspiration to do anything new because I'm like, yeah, I've, I've kind of, in my mind, you know, I've done yeah. everything I could do here. Um, and so I will kind of just, you know, show up to jams and maybe just sit there like, yeah, I'm kind of very uninspired. <laughs> um, and then COVID hit and we were all jobless for a while. And, you know, we were in Hawaii. It's good weather. I'm just running around the mountains and stuff, barefoot, you know, no shirt. And these were things I was already doing, just not um while I was doing parkour ever since I'd moved to so I moved to Hawaii in 2010 and from that point on I was kind of introduced to you know moving bare moving barefoot more you know being very primal the friends I had made we would run in the woods in the rain barefoot shirtless you know yeah jumping to streams and rivers and so that was always a part of that was always something that we did that just never translated into parkour until COVID because I was doing all those things again. And then I'd be like, okay, now I want to train. And I would, you know, drive to a spot with my shoes um, under my seat. Mm-hmm. 
and be like, okay, now it's time to train. Let me put my shoes on. And then it got to a point where I was like, you know, I don't think I need these. You know, I just came from the mountains barefoot, no shirt, hair down. I don't need to put my shoes on just to do parkour. Mm -hmm. So I started training barefoot. And um, that was one factor. Another factor during COVID, I hurt my big toe. Yeah. So I wasn't able to take big impacts for a while. So I was like, okay, what can I do that's parkour that's not a lot of impact? Like, oh, climbing. As long as I don't fall and take mm-hmm. a drop, I can climb. So these two things kind of like intersected. Okay, I'm now training barefoot. My foot's hurt, so I'm just going to do ascents mm-hmm. and then eventually descents that don't have so much impact. So um, having an injured big toe, no, I was like, you know, I can't fail, basically. I can't take the drop because my foot can't handle it. So, you know, I would go to a spot and, like, find a route or do a route that I had already done with shoes on. Be like, okay, this is my approach. This is what I need to do. This is how I need to handle this part of the movement. This is how my feet need to adjust. And I would execute. And people ask me, you know, do you fall? And, yeah, I do fall. But, like, in that period, I didn't fall. I never fell mm-hmm. <laughs> because I couldn't. I just exactly. couldn't because my my foot was hurt. So I was like, okay, this is different. Just being barefoot adds a new element of challenge and difficulty and sense of awareness of my body that I had never fully embraced. I think prior to that, I had dabbled in it. Yeah. They mentioned before I would warm up barefoot, but never like would do a full on, you know, training session barefoot. But now like, okay, you know, this is a thing I can do this. Let's see how many of the challenges I've done here in Hawaii. Um, how many, how many of them can I do barefoot? So I was kind of just like going back to different spots. I'm like, okay, I think I can do this, 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 this. So I'm kind of like figuring out what I can do barefoot and what I can't. And that in itself has been a whole process because the technique changes, how you land changes, how you absorb, how your body reacts to landings change, as yeah. you probably know. And so, yeah, so that's kind of how that originated. And how I took off on Instagram, I, you know, I was already doing those things. So I was thinking, oh, you know, it would be fun to make a, you know, a a YouTube video where I'm, you know, showcasing this method of training and I think it will be fine. And so I originally planned to just save those clips and then release a two minute YouTube video. But last minute I decided to upload to Instagram and um, my first upload, excuse me, upload to Instagram, got like 50 followers. I was like, okay, I've never gotten that many followers off of one post. I mean, you know, let me just keep posting and then see what happens. And I made another post and it got 60 followers. Okay. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, I'll just keep doing it and maybe maybe something will take off. Another post, 70 followers. I was like, okay. And I was talking to people at the time because this is when Reels, Instagram Reels started you know, becoming a thing. I was talking to some guys and, you know, asking, you know, should I post regular posts or should I post reels? 
and I was talking to uh, David Nelms, okay. and he was saying Instagram is trying to um, basically overtake TikTok and yeah. you know, popping their algorithm with that, and you should post reels. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't really like how the format is you know it's vertical but you know i've been doing more to sense and yeah. ascents now and that's vertical so i guess that's perfect so yeah yeah i thought like okay what's uh an ascent i can do that's like relatively easy that i can do barefoot and i went out and it was raining actually people don't know this but the initial video that took off it was it just had started to rain and I was like, you know, I can just, I can just do it. So, and that was actually part of the reason <laughs> it's funny. People say, you know, it, it's fast or whatever, but part of the reason was because it was raining and I needed to get up, you know, before yeah. everything got wet. Yeah. 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 You had a so, sense of urgency. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I did it and I was like, okay, cool. You know, let me just post it and, um, got like a hundred K views and I was like, okay, this is cool. And then maybe a hundred followers and I was like, okay, people like this. So I just kept, you know, posting. And then a week later that video, you know, blew up, it hit a million views. And then, um, that was kind of exciting. Yeah. people were were tagging someone in the comments like mm. it was probably hundreds of comments tagging this one person i didn't, had no idea who this person was <clears throat> and my account had probably grown to i was at 3k mm-hmm. it had grown to probably 40k in a matter of a few weeks and then one day it just shot up I went from like 40 to 100k and I was like whoa what is going on <clears throat> and um so I was it's like maybe it was that one guy that people were tagging so I looked you know found the tag went to his profile and this guy has 54 million followers <laughs> and he's a Brazilian YouTuber okay and he has long hair <laughs> oh there you so, go People were tagging him in the video saying, oh, it's, you know, so-and-so. And what ended up happening was, you know, he was getting bombarded with so many comments. He ended up reposting. And from that repost, I, you know, got like 60K in like two days. And then, you know, it slowly died off. And then, yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, your resemblance to a... A Brazilian YouTuber you didn't know was a viral driver for you. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. And it's, it's all interesting, the timing, because for a lot of people who have been training for as long as I have, you know, a lot of people have accumulated like 10K. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know, that it'd be cool to reach 10K, but it's like you know, I'm just enjoying movement now. I'm not trying to push myself as I used to. Yeah. I just you know have fun and <clears throat> work on my weaknesses and not you know take it too seriously. And kind of had given up hitting 10k, and um, it was only after I like had kind of 
died to myself like okay you know numbers a number it does it's not really a huge deal mm-hmm. um it was only at that point did my account blow up that's funny. and you know, greatly surpassed 10k so so you're um you're in grad school right now right yes so what are you in grad school for yeah i am studying psychology i'm oh. getting my master's in clinical counseling okay cool so you have a, a real job on the horizon. Yes, yes. Uh, a real job, but I, honestly, I think it's, you know, so much of my life has been intertwined with parkour. Like, it's it's all the same to me. Mm-hmm. Like, what I'm doing now is parkour because, the, you know, parkour is about facing obstacles. And I've never been academically inclined my whole life and it has been an obstacle for me and so you know in thinking about training your weaknesses and trying to be better as a person I was like okay I will go to grad school because I know it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be stretching and is one of the greatest obstacles that I will probably overcome in my lifetime. So that coupled with a lot of other things, but definitely. I'm just curious, like you, you basically kind of sounds like you sort of fell into having a huge following. Now there's going to be opportunities that are associated with that. And I'm curious, like, is that, are you pursuing those opportunities? Is it just sort of like, Hey, cool. I'm a guy who has a, a giant following and I'm just going to keep, climbing things because it's fun or yeah Yeah, um opportunities have presented themselves to me you know um but i think ultimately i've never wanted parkour to become full-time for me it's always Mm -hmm. been something that has been utilized as a tool to drive other things that I wanted to pursue in life. Yeah. Um, and so similarly now, it's definitely more, I mean, doing parkour has become more, I mean, more important, but not, it's still like next to and under, like getting my degree, mm-hmm. uh, pursuing more long-term uh, career path and so I think now it's a matter of just balancing those two and yeah I mean I, I'm 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 very particular with what opportunities that I pick up you know I want to do things that represent the sport well or what it means to me well but of course sometimes you just need money so it's it's kind of a tricky tricky thing to navigate but yeah yeah it's it's definitely been tricky for the whole community um yeah. so let me see i i was really starting to pay attention to what you're doing recently because you were moving in trees and that was really exciting to me so i'm curious how much the kind of like the stuff that went viral was actually the building climbing the rapid ascents and descents versus the movement in trees mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah short answer is definitely the movement and buildings. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's the short answer. I, as I was posting more content, I was like, okay, you know, trying to figure out what people like. And I'd always been moving in trees, like on the side, but never like as a form of, I don't know, I don't want to say legitimate training, but I wouldn't train to form lines in the trees or move in a certain way. Only after I blew up to like, okay, you know, I have these pieces, let's put them together and see what happens. And um, yeah, I mean, I think people like it, but people definitely like the whole like, oh, Tarzan escaped the jungle and is now living in the city (laughs) thing. Um, which it's interesting. I think, I think in a lot of ways, I think of what I'm doing is like an art. It's, it's like a contrast, you know, we're so used to seeing parkour done in the city and very, you know, very city, you know, clothing, whatever. Yeah. And you're not used to seeing someone who looks like they're from the tropics moving in an urban environment. Mm. So I don't know, maybe if I were to wear a suit in the trees, I'd be like, oh, it's someone that came from the city. <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to wear a suit in the trees. I yeah. Keep thinking about getting like a nicely, uh, nicely tailored parkour suit. You got it back there? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Um, so I'm curious about how you started with the barefooting because um like, I, you know, I was influenced by the paleo community and, and the bi- rise of barefoot running. All that stuff was happening 2005, you know, uh, Chris McDougal, Born to Run. I, I ran into Barefoot Ted. You know, he was in Seattle, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff. So I, I started barefooting and also Georgia Bear, right? Because I was all my stuff was really influenced by Method Natural. So I started barefooting um, in 2006, I think. Um, and I was really into it. Interestingly, so I like. You, have you seen my video Tree Runner that I came out with in two, 2012, 2013? I that may have seen, park. may have seen clips of it. Yeah. Okay. Probably. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that was the you know kind of my big statement of tree parkour barefoot, um, and my feet were hurting a lot during the filming of that like i would go out for a film session and my feet would just get worn out and then i would actually wear my shoes all week mm-hmm. like during my life so that my foot would be ready to to try to like um train the next time that i was going to film right yeah so like after that i was like well that was kind of dumb i like being barefoot most of the time so i'll, I'll wear my shoes a little bit more when i'm training and then when i started traveling uh teaching uh evolved move play i um i just realized that like if i had a seminar that weekend and i like punctured my foot it was going to be a really really sad day so i uh i ended up uh kind of doing mostly i would warm up and i would do light training i do light flow barefoot and try to incorporate that a lot and then just try to live barefoot as much as possible but when i was going to do high heavy impact training i was always putting my shoes on after that yeah. Um, so it's been interesting to watch what you've accomplished barefoot. Uh, I recently started to have a conversation with Leo on the podcast. Unfortunately, his internet died, so we're going to have to refilm it later. 
mm. uh, Irvin, but he's accomplished a lot barefoot. And yeah. so it's kind of interesting to me. And, and specifically, I've I've stubbed my toes really badly a couple mm. of times. And that's been like, it just really makes it hard to do that. Yeah. And specifically climbing. So I'm interested in how you injured your toe. Yeah. Climbing feel good. Because for me, the dorsiflexion that you have to possess to barefoot climb on flat walls, mm-hmm. you know, in your toe is really extreme. And, and having had those toe injuries, that's what's actually really the hardest for me. So I'm curious yeah. about how kind of you sustain the health of your feet over time, how you got interested in barefooting at the stage that you got interested in mm-hmm. and, and you know, yeah, how you preserve the health of your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Good questions. Um, <clears throat> If I think back to the beginning, um, I think I was, um, you know, here and there I would run around barefoot in Hong Kong when I was like in at the beach or you know, in the mountains, but not too much. And it wasn't until I, I was in New York once, I forget what year, but I met um, a, a Danish guy and he, you know, he was like, oh, I, I always warm up barefoot. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So... <clears throat> I started warming up barefoot and um, that's, I think that's the earliest time I remember like specifically training parkour uh, barefoot. And then I moved to Hawaii and we would mainly wear shoes, but taking them off was always incorporated into our practice. So there was always kind of like this, balance of like half and half we'll do we'll do some things barefoot we'll do some things with shoes on obviously like it's just better to you know protect your feet when you're doing certain movements and other movements you don't need to worry about that and I think similarly now um I'm not always training barefoot for sure there are movements big impact movements that I want to do and not want to worry about destroying my feet and so I always have my shoes with me, but it's, it's like, now I think of shoes as a tool. It's not necessarily like I go to train with my shoes. It's like, I go to train. I want to even, I don't even want to say barefoot. I go to train. And if I want to do something barefoot, I would do it barefoot. And if I want to do something with shoes on, I will do it with shoes on. And it's just depending. It's just very dependent on what I want to do and what I want to achieve. And um, as far as like the maintenance of my feet, it wasn't really until probably, well, one, moving to Hawaii and doing a lot of hikes barefoot. That was probably the start of it. And then COVID doing that. Yeah. COVID doing that even more and more. So I was, you know, doing a lot of hikes barefoot and um. Again, like I said, you know, we'd go to training sessions and be like, okay, I don't need my shoes anymore. So now I do to maintain my feet. Honestly, I don't do that much. (laughs) I will try to be barefoot as much as I can. I will try to hike barefoot as much as I can. I... You know, every once in a while, we'll use a massage gun to massage my feet, but that's not very often either. Um, I lift barefoot. Um, just trying to, I think, honestly, just trying to be barefoot as much as I can. Yeah. 
and and uh, just learning how to land barefoot. Those have been big things for me. Have you had any like abrasions, tears on your feet, splinters, puncture wounds? Have you you know smashed your toes on stuff while you're training? I I tore up I tore up my big toe pretty good. Um, was this like a year ago on a wall? Um, but I learned that was because I'd started that session with shoes on, mm-hmm. and then I'd taken them off. And and well, this is this was a big thing for me. I realized that there there needs to be a period that your feet need to I don't know acclimate to being barefoot after yeah. taking your shoes off because you wear shoes your feet are hot and they're they're slightly moist yep. and they're more susceptible to tears to punctures and so what i do when i take off my shoes i'm rubbing my feet like on the ground trying to absorb dirt to dry them off i'm stomping my feet to like get prepare them to like take impact um and that has been actually huge for me, like just <clears throat> realizing that it needs to be a, a period of time, usually 10, 10 or 20 minutes that you need to take after you've taken your shoes off to, you know, acclimate your feet to being barefoot and to taking impact. So when I tore my foot, I'd taken my shoes off and I had done this line, this climb once. And I was like, <clears throat> okay, this is really easy. I took my shoes off and immediately went for it. And I stepped off this wall. It's a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And my my foot caught um the edge of a brick and it just like took it just took all the skin off. Yeah. And it was like lots of blood. And I was like, wow, I'm really surprised that happened because I know my feet can take that. I know my mm-hmm. feet can take that. And I was like, I wonder what happened. I was like, oh, my feet were just still moist. Mm-hmm. And you know, not fully dried or prepared for that. So now that I am aware of of that, I take uh, proper precautions. And um, there's definitely a lot of things that I know can be, you know, a lot of like very interesting things. Like I won't try land on a wall if it's a big jump, unless it has some sort of bevel, let's say I'm learning, like if it has, if it has a sharp edge, I just won't try to land on it barefoot. Yeah. If it has a bevel, it's no problem. If it's a rail, no problem, because those sharp edges are what tear up your feet. <laughs> and so if you, if you do watch my videos, like you can kind of tell, like there's like a pattern to what I'm doing. A lot of the jumps are upwards. So I'm not taking that downward impact. So you're kind of landing and rolling up um same with the climbs like basically a lot of my movement has gone towards like going up or not landing on edges and not sticking things because sticking things really (laughs) hurts your feet yeah especially to a sharp edge yeah so yeah a lot of my movements like you see me hit the hit the wall and i'm running out because you instead of hitting the edge i try to avoid hitting the edge Mm -hmm. at all costs because you can't do that barefoot. You have to land on top. Mm-hmm. That way, you know, you're not, you know, hurting your big, your above your foot. So you see a lot of me, a lot of my jumps, I'm landing on the top and kind of running off. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I did most, almost all my barefoot training was not all of it. I definitely did some, uh, 
some barefoot training in the city when I was working at Parkour Visions. But once I left and created development play, it was all in nature. And mm-hmm. there were basically not so many 90 degree ledges in nature. So yeah. like, it feels, you know, jumping to a tree branch is pretty great. Jumping to a lot of boulders is pretty great as far as being able to land on your foot. Um, and not have that, like, there's just not a good way to orient your foot, particularly. I mean, I guess it just has to be insanely, um, <laughs> resilient to take a hard yeah. landing to a, to a yeah. concrete edge. Yeah. Unless you and yeah, I think, you know, over the course of the last two years, my feet have definitely like become so much stronger. Like it, it, it surprises me like what my feet can take and it's all a matter of you know checking in with myself and checking you know in with my feet and just being like okay can you handle this today can you not do I need to put my shoes back on but yeah like if you people you know people in LA who see me coming to session like I'm I have my shoes on sometimes I have my shoes off and so yeah do you rehearse lines that you intend to to film barefoot with shoes on and then take your shoes off later in the process sometimes yes it, it just depends yeah it just depends if if i'm trying a line and i have like there's some lines i'm like okay i know i can do this barefoot so i don't need to i don't need to do that but there are other lines are like okay i don't know how this is going to feel if i'm wearing if I'm barefoot, so I'll do it with shoes on first and test it out. And then I'm like, okay, this all feels very good and familiar. And the, the only thing I need to adjust is like taking into account that I will be doing it barefoot. Mm, okay. Uh, have you noticed one thing I noticed when I switched to barefoot was that like the optimal part of the ball of my foot that I wanted to land on was actually more forward than in a shoe. Like I find mm-hmm. that in a shoe, I tend to want to land slightly behind the ball of the foot, like on the back, on the posterior portion of the ball of the foot. Whereas mm-hmm. somehow a lot of times in barefooting, I want to be kind of in between the front of the ball of the foot and the toes without getting too far in the toes. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I wouldn't say like towards the front, but like more just like right in the middle of the ball of foot like that's like the sweet spot right in the middle that way you hit that edge and yeah. you just kind of roll up to um top and it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because like in different places like if you go to different jams in different countries they'll tell you what is the optimal way to land and <clears throat> one of the things that stood out to me was when i was in spain they their method i don't know if it's the same now but their methodology was their belief was the 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 least amount of foot that you use to land on a wall, the better and more aesthetic it looks. So they aim to land on their toes, oh like God. the first um, yeah yeah the phalange, the, the the first knuckle, <laughs> <laughs> and anything that's like past the ball of the foot, they tell you to do it again. They're like. That, that doesn't count do it again yeah. <laughs> i remember that i was i remember sitting there like watching these spanish guys move and all land like on the toes I'm like wow how is that even how did i even do that but man that toe slip is terrible you gotta avoid that yeah you know so I, like if you were too far on the front of your toes like your toes will just give in they're not that strong and um and then when you when you slip out there it, you know, you go to your shin really fast. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I did find that my, you know, basically like taking heel strikes in, in uh, barefoot is so much more damaging when you hit an edge with your heel. And so you got to kind of buffer it a little bit further towards the toe to make sure you're not going to take that heel strike. Cause that can, that can put you out for a couple of weeks, a good heel bruise. Yeah. 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 For sure. Like I'm, I'm constantly running on the ball of my feet and it's funny because some of the comments are, Oh, he hurt himself because I yeah. finished a line and I'm running out and I'm, I'm running on the balls of my feet. And it looks like, you know, if you hurt yourself, you're kind of like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> kind of like dancing it off or whatever, but no, I'm just running on the ball of my foot, trying to like come out of something as light as I can. And my heels like rarely hit the ground because yeah, that, that just hurts. Um, so do you do like big long vaults for instance, uh, or front flips, um, like split, uh, split foot style front flips, uh, barefoot on the ground? Yeah. Yeah. I can do those. Um, there you kind of have to anchor off the heel on that, on that back foot. Usually have you noticed that, or we've been able to avoid that. Um, you know, I don't really do flips off of flat ground, but I, I will do them off ledges. But when I do land, I have to, yeah, land on the ball of the foot or land on soft grass or landing. Yeah. But so what I'm talking about is the, the split step, right on the split yeah. step, you got to roll through the heel on the, at least on the back leg mm-hmm. and you yeah. can do it. You can line it up. I've found that I can do it on concrete barefoot. Um, and I'm going to slap that heel down and roll, but it has to do with how fast my center mass is moving over it. So I'm not going to have a huge braking action on the heel and then I'm okay. And I can still, I do it with power, but, um, it's just interesting. Cause you know, a lot of times we start talking about like being just totally ball of the foot dominant when we're barefoot, but you know, like if you were to try to dunk a basketball, um, barefoot, you're still going to have to use your heel to yeah. anchor down and get those hamstrings and glutes really firing properly. <laughs> Yeah, I've learned that if I do have to use my heel, I have to just be very, very gentle. I can't, I can't, I won't be stomping my foot down. And as well as like the trajectory to which you are doing that, like it's coming more at a, <clears throat> it's coming more parallel than like adjacent. It's uh, the strike is very gentle. It's very, very gentle. And then, so the heel will hit gently. And then once the ball of the foot, hits the ground explode yeah so that's that's generally yeah that's that's kind of my experience as well it's about managing the collision through the tension above the heel and the knee and the hip so that you can roll that shin past that initial heel position but then have that heel flat on the ground in order to Mm -hmm. to anchor off of it and use it that way so um Okay, so moving on from the bare footing itself, your your style developed from very power-oriented towards very flow-oriented and then kind of technical weird challenges, which is funny because I, I kind of went through a lot of those phases or, I mean, I, I, I feel like I know who, you, you know, um, even I was, I was telling you, I was interviewing Leo and you were talking about GOP and like going back to Leo's videos before you really started mostly doing nature stuff. He's got the giant baggy pants. He's doing the yep. G- you style uh uh yep. reverse vault right the fosky reverse vault yep um i never really got into the gp stuff as much as other people but i went through that phase where i was really interested in the flow connections and before that 
it was all about the power, the power, the power. And then, then the Angus Mashinko, Andy Wool, Dusseldorf parkour scene, you know, when Naeem went up to, uh, to Germany parkour creatively, like all that stuff was so much fun. The golden days of parkour. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like, okay, you're, so you, you're now kind of portray your, you're specializing in a sense in the ascent and descent game then to a lesser degree in the movement in trees right now, as far as the content you're putting out, is it really what most of your training looks like, or is kind of some of that other stuff still there in the background of your training? It's just not something you're highlighting in your social media. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, (laughs) it's, it's something I don't really think about. I just like go to train and then I just, things catch my eye and i think just in within this season of my training it's a sense of descent i really catch my eye and of course i am still training i call them like horizontal training you know you're moving across this way instead of up and down yeah and for sure my my movement looks more vertical nowadays Mm -hmm. but um i think it's ever changing and i think it, it as far as athletes who've been training for you know 10 plus years, I feel like it, it just needs people need to dabble in as much as they can because it can, it can, it can get boring. Um, but it's interesting because over the break, um, winter break that I just you know got back from, I was moving more horizontally than I had been in a while and was really enjoying it. And I'm you know, taking inspiration from the hula and and, and dance and and um, as well as surfing and stuff like that. You know, more more horizontal um, base movements and seeing how I can um, just just grow in that. I don't think there's an aim or a goal, but I think for majority of my my parkour life it has been you know aimed at becoming more like i don't know uh european in my movement or urban but now that you know i think people are appreciating like movement and nature more i'm like okay you know what are some things that we can take inspiration from what are the things in nature that we can take inspiration what are things that already exist that we can take inspiration from and um I had like just a few comments passed back and forth between uh, Eric Wolf and I, and he was mm-hmm. telling me, oh, he, I posted a video on these lemurs that were moving in a certain way. And I, and I was like, oh, I'm so inspired by that. And I, I like applied some of that to my movement. And then, you know, he commented, oh yeah, I've been, you know, trying to uh, copy those movements as well. And if you watch them, it's, it's very similar to, um, I think uh, they're called the Sifaka Lemur, yeah. the lemurs. Yeah. They're actually called Shifak, which totally okay. look like how it's pronounced. Okay. I, I believe that's how it's pronounced. But yeah, they're awesome. They're, they're the, the the kings of the like uh, catback in the animal kingdom. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just taking a lot of inspiration from that sort of thing and, and just enjoying the process. I think there's a lot that, the parkour world or it's just humanity in general can learn from kind of looking backwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are a lot of things that exist that 
have like have had a little harder of a time like being passed down and i think um doing what i'm doing is almost like reconnecting me to to that past in the in some way in hawaii this is like um <clears throat> the, you know the hawaiians had to travel from other parts of polynesia to find hawaii and how they found i could be wrong is maybe some some like scholar listening yeah. but from what my understanding is the now hawaiians they were sitting on the shores and they could see obviously they could see the tides coming off of their land but in the water they could see a, a tide coming off of something in the distance hundreds and thousands of miles away and they knew there was land yeah so they they voyaged and they went out and a lot of people think the Hawaiian people um, just stumbled upon the Hawaiian islands or these islands and just like put down the roots there. But no, everything was very intentional and calculated and, you know, primal and understanding the land, understanding nature. And so as they voyaged, they had to one, look behind the boat and see the tides coming off of where they were coming from. And two, look in front of the boat and see the tides that was coming um in front and knowing so they would have an idea of like where they're going but also where they've come from so i think similarly like i feel as i'm um discovering what i am discovering now it's a, a, a lot of that idea within that you know i'm i've been doing parkour for a long time parkour's very futuristic forward movement but also like when I'm doing barefoot, it's looking back, like, okay, there are things that exist before this that obviously haven't made it into our movement discipline yet. And I think those are important. So yeah, I mean, that's very much aligned with with evolved move play, right? That's you know, the idea is how do we evolve to move, right? And for me, uh moving in nature is obviously more reflective of our evolved nature than moving in the city. I, I kind of think of parkour as this like revolutionary act of reimagining the city as available for play mm -hmm. um, in the same way that kind of every kid will naturally interact with nature. Um, yeah. But there's this weird way in which the parkour community fell into the trap of seeing it only as urban. Like I, for years, I would hear people call it urban optical coursing. I was like, it doesn't have to be urban, right? If you go back to the very early David Bell videos, he says, you know, whether in the man-made or the natural environment. And like the earliest videos, there's a bunch of Fontaine Blue and Sarcelles. Yeah. yeah. Um, as well as, you know, Lisa and Every. Um, and it's it's interesting to me that it's still like a really small percentage of the parkour community that's exploring it. It's like I I have a my favorites on Instagram is just people who do parkour in nature. So it's you, Leo Urban, Eric Wolf, uh, Lisa Schneider, um, Tarzan movement, uh, yeah. Alcock Bailey, Julia Close. I mean, it, it's like it's like a dozen people, right? And then there's some folks who kind of explored it pretty deeply, and and then kind of haven't. That's not where they're at right now. But like Toby Seeger used to do more of it in nature. Now he's back into the climbing, which is taking him into nature. But for me, um, that's what's super intriguing is is how we evolved to move with nature, like. Um, the swing game is really big right now, uh, or maybe it was a couple of years ago. I don't know. Uh, it has been big. And then I, I'm I'm training at a Ninja Warrior gym right now, which is like, I realized the Ninja Warrior is basically just weird laches combined with campus and climbing and a little bit of balance and tic-tac work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Uh, so it's all uh, it's just laches. <laughs> like, yeah, all these funky laches, um, which is fun. It's nice to be able to like have weird, challenging laches to work on. Um, but like, I got really into breakating, like Gibbons. And so yeah. I found this line in Seattle where I could actually do a 360 breakation around a tree. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was one of the coolest things to ever discover. Um, I'd love to take you there one of these days when you come to Seattle. We'll go yeah, yeah. tree. Mm-hmm. Cause that's it. Like the whole reason we have shoulders that can do these things is because we are evolved from breakating apes. Right. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, so you said you're, you're taking inspiration from surfing. You're taking inspiration from Hulu. It sounds like kind of Hawaiian culture has really become an important touchstone for you. Did you grow up in Hawaii or did you adopt Hawaii as an adult? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, my mom is from Hawaii. Um, my I have several generations on her side that from there. My parents just got work. So my dad was born in Taiwan, raised in the Philippines, and then moved to New York City. Okay. My parents met in Oregon and then they found work in <clears throat> mainland China and then Hong Kong. So I had grown up visiting Hawaii and New York City and Oregon like almost every year of my life. Cause that's where my, my mm-hmm. you know, my parents, you know, their families, their friends were from. So <clears throat> But I, I did grow up in Hong Kong. And um, let's see, uh, what else do I need to add? Oh, uh, I'm not by blood Hawaiian, but my great-grandmother was 100% Hawaiian. But she adopted my grandmother, who was ethnically Chinese. Okay. So though she was Chinese, she was raised Hawaiian. She was taught the language. She was taught the way of the land. She was taught you know to read and write and all these things. And, and so... Moving to Hawaii, I, I just felt, uh, I tell people, I, I grew up in Hong Kong, and that, in a lot of senses, does feel like home to me, but I never truly felt at home there. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't like the city until I found parkour, hence the name for the love of the city. <clears throat> and so, when I... When I did move to Hawaii when I was 16, it was like, it, it truly felt like I had moved home. Like, mm-hmm. it truly felt like I was in the place that I was meant to be. You know, I was, all these things that I had kind of like experienced to a very small degree in Hong Kong now was my life, you know? Mm-hmm. I always liked to like be in nature and be in the mountains and, you know, daydream about being in the mountains and fitting the wind hit my face. And now that I was in Hawaii, I was able to do all those things and all the friends I had met um, were all into movement as well. And so, you know, again, we're running around in the woods, barefoot, jumping on cliffs and doing all that. And so it was, it almost felt like a, a, a rebirth, like moving <laughs> from the city to the jungle. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because now I'm moving from the jungle to the city. <laughs> and so jungle into LA, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of full circle. And I, I think there's something um almost beautiful about that. Um so yeah, I do take a lot of inspiration from having lived in Hawaii for as long as I have now and um do feel um the things that were taught to me through my grandma, who was raised by Hawaiians. Um, yeah, I do feel that responsibility. That's also part of Hawaiian culture. Like, you know, taking on um, this responsibility, not only for yourself, but for 
those who have come before you, your 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 ancestors, your people who have laid down the foundations for the life that you're able to live now. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely, definitely important things to me. So are you, um, are you practicing surfing, practicing hula, or just kind of like watching videos, going to events? Like how do, how do those things kind of enter? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been surfing for, let's say six or so years now. Mm-hmm. And then I don't I don't do hula, but I know a lot of people that do hula. I know um, a good amount of, of you know what it means, what the purpose of hula, um, the storytelling that is involved. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So how did how do you feel like surfing has impacted your parkour? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, it's it's funny because. If I look back in the last, I don't know, five or so years of my life, and if someone were to ask me, like, oh, what has helped you? What has helped your parkour? I would tell them not doing parkour, doing other things. Because parkour gives you such a strong base, foundation for doing everything else in life that is Mm movement-based, any sport or whatever. And so, um, like... Surfing has helped me um, with my flow, like learning to feel um, water beneath me, around me, the land around me, and moving in conjunction to that. So a lot of surfing is, surfing feels like the complete opposite to parkour. Parkour, you you come in, you have control over everything, your body in the space, you know the surfaces, you have control. You are basically um, the mastermind or God in your little world and you can play manipulate in whatever way you can. But surfing is the opposite. You have a little board, you go into the ocean and the ocean is the mastermind god or whatever and you can have as much skill as you want and you know you're gonna have like incredible skill but if you're not paying attention to the ocean and listening to it you're gonna get destroyed so i love that surfing a lot of it is about giving up giving up control allowing the wave to carry you and you just like doing a little dance on the wave basically um and so that has carried over to parkour like okay you know what what uh, does my movement look like if I allow this environment to shape the movements that I put into it rather than I show up like, Oh, I can do, uh, <clears throat> I have 20 moves in my toolbox. Which ones can I take out and apply, you know, but yeah. going to space like, okay, what are some unique or interesting obstacles that I can use that will shape the way I move. And I've, sp- I've spoken with, I don't know if I've spoken with Eric Wolf, but I see the way that he trains and he trains with that uh, methodology as well. And as, uh, as well as uh, Luke Albrecht, mm-hmm. they go into space and like, oh, you know what unique ways is this environment shaping me? So that's carried over. So that's surfing. And then um, <clears throat> trail running has impacted my movement like quite a lot in the past few years, just um with footwork like being able to think like very quickly every step you take you know you could and in hawaii the trails are like to run are like the rims Mm -hmm. the rims of like dormant volcanoes or 
rims of mountains. And if you slip and fall, you're going to fall a hundred feet. So you need to be very calculated, precise, and think like within an instant so that you don't get hurt. And so that has helped me parkour. You know, if I'm running around, I, you know, I can make a last minute adjustment um, to my movement, you know, as I please, basically. It's interesting. Uh, so I, uh, so I come from a martial arts background and within the martial arts, I was exposed to the idea of aliveness, which I believe was originally coined by Bruce Lee, but it was popularized, kind of really defined by Matt Thornton. The idea of aliveness is essentially that um, you can practice patterns of movement as much as you want and you won't be able to use them in an actual fight until you've really dealt with an opponent's real energy, their real timing, their real rhythm, right? So you have to, you have to, you have to do some sort of sim fighting like activity to be able to fight, right? You can't fight all out, but you have to be, have real resistance to learn to fight. Mm. So um, I started getting interested in, you know, this idea of what is the kind of complete approach to movement um, mm -hmm. back in 2006. And I wanted to sort of bring aliveness into parkour. We were always talking about parkour as a reach or escape activity. Mm -hmm. We were never trying to actually just reach something on site, right? Or trying to escape from something real. It's like, well, be chased, chase things. Um, and so we started incorporating that in 2008. Uh, I can't remember the exact timing. I feel like I was definitely already thinking a lot about this, but then Take Matthews Palmer released, you know, uh, Rage Frublink, and that like, was like, oh, yes, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I want to do. And we we built a lot of games based off of that. But I've only been surfing maybe half a dozen times. One of the mm -hmm. things that I really felt was like, it's so alive. Yeah. Right? It's so um, it's so moment to moment, right? In parkour, you can plan a line. Yeah. And you can, you can, and one thing I think parkour athletes need to do a lot more of is not stop when the line doesn't go as planned yeah like learn to adapt secondarily but on, in surfing basically it's all online because the wave is going to feel different yeah in every moment right it's like you can't like get up on a line and be like okay the wave is going to be at this speed and this height five seconds from now which is going to be the perfect opportunity for me to do this you know board switch or flip or whatever it is that, that you're going to do um you it's all it's all about that moment to moment reaction yeah so uh i felt that a little bit when i was actually surfing but i actually felt it most just trying to get the surfboard <laughs> out yeah. like just being in the water and getting like smacked by these oh yeah waves getting yeah. you know this uh, one of the times i went surfing was on the oregon coast and there was this current running across the the beach and so we were fighting the current to stay in the spot where the break was. Yep. Yeah. And so it's just this incredible, it was such a fascinating and rich physical experience for like, oh, this is going to give feed me so much adaptability, so much resilience in my movement to experience this. Yeah. 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 People people think surfing is like, oh, you know, you just stand up on the wave and you ride and no, it's like it's a whole nother world. It really is like everything you need to know the ocean, you know, you know, the tides, you need to know 
yeah. you know, which way the, the wave's going to hit, whether it's going to break or not, all these things. And I think that's what, what I appreciate. It's like I, I become very minuscule mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of surfing. Whereas parkour, it's like we're basically like God. Yeah, yeah. We're the we can impose our vision in a sense. But the other thing you said that I really picked up on that in that was this idea of the parkour that is responsive to the space. Like this is something that I really love. Like this is one of the reasons why I really love the, the stuff in nature. Cause I feel like it's harder to impose yeah. a vision on the, on nature, right? It's like, you just might not have any Kong precisions in this specific space, right? You're just going to, it's just not, it doesn't make sense, but how, what can you find? How can you react creatively with it? And I remember like, I was <laughs> Ryan Doyle and, uh, you know, apologies to Ryan Doyle for calling him out on this, but he, he kind of emblemized, he symbolized for me the trend of like parkour as just tricking off of platforms <laughs> or it didn't really matter what the platforms were or where they were. And mm-hmm. I think Red Bull sent him to like a Mayan temple and, you know, he did like a cart full off. A yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Landed and did, and it was like, this is exactly the line that he would do off of platforms in England. There's the scenery has changed, mm-hmm. but there was zero adaptation of the way of moving to the scenery. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas like, for me, I'm super inspired right now by like Matt McCreary's movement mm-hmm. because, you know, he's in trees. His movement is really weird and unique in the trees in a specific way, utilizing the affordances of the trees mm-hmm. he's on hay bales in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And he's doing absurd stuff that only works because it's hay bales. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to me, that's where like parkour is most rich actually is when we um are actually behaving more like surfers yeah and less like gymnasts yeah for sure so i guess i'll just leave you can you can you can spring off that if you want but i i'll i'm curious in the parkour community whose movement is inspiring to you now who are you looking at and saying okay that's that makes me want to go train that makes me i want to try that thing i want to I want to play in that space. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm like, there's no one that comes to mind right now. Like I, it's funny because if you were to ask me any other time in my journey, I would be able to name up all these different names, but yeah. not, like right currently now, I feel like I'm just like on my own journey, immersing myself in what I'm trying to do that like i haven't really thought of like other people that i mean there's also always people that i think are doing really like cool and crazy things like joe joe scandred i think this mm-hmm. is one of them like dom tomato yeah. Yeah, yeah um i really like binge binge cave movement mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know it's interesting because i like i i guess i associate you in my head with leo urban because mm-hmm. of the nature stuff and then because of the ascent and descent stuff like i feel like there's a kind of little group of guys who are all really good at that who are all specializing in that so there's tom coppola there's you there's oliver thorpe there's uh, 
um, Shane. Uh, I can't remember Shane's last name. Shane from uh, from Cambridge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a uh, uh, Momo. Uh, Momo. Yeah, yeah, Momo, Momo, like a, a, APK or something. APK. Um, and it's like kind of like that's that's the crew that's really taking the ascent game super high. And then obviously Joe Scandard is the king of descents. And yeah, I feel like there's a lot of guys doing descents like two years ago, but I'm not really thinking of many people who are really specializing in descents to, yeah. besides Joe. Yeah. Right yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely take inspiration from all those guys, but at the same time, like I, I do, for me, like what I'm doing feels very different because I'm, I'm scared of heights. So <laughs> and everything that I try to do is within like generally a limit of two, generally within two stories. If I do a third story, that's like, it's just like you know it's it's another like level of like challenge to me because i know i can take a drop from two stories and be fine yeah once it's two to three stories i know that i will need to do at least one move that is risking myself mm -hmm. and i i generally don't like to put myself in those situations of course it's very case by case like yeah. if the architecture environment is very tight and closed and you know, if you fall from the third story, you're just going to land on the second story, then mm -hmm. that's fine. But, um, like I see Joe stuff and I, I love what he's doing, but I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd stand up there and just, I would just say, no, like, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Um, and then there's like Oliver, he's like, he does like super rapid urban climbs. Mm -hmm. But again, like he's climbing at to a height where I probably wouldn't climb myself. Like I'd probably go halfway. Mm -hmm. So I think as far as like what I look for, it's like I I try to look for climbs in the sense that I can do rapidly. I think that's like the main factor. Like how fast can I do it? And if if it's not fast and it, it kind of just doesn't interest me, um, of course that's case by case. There are some things that I'll allow, like if there's one movement within the the climb that is that does require a more technical move and it causes me to slow down, then I'm okay with that. But I don't necessarily enjoy like this the slower climbs. Yeah. And I think like Shane, he does a lot of more like very technical, more slow climbs. Of course, you can climb very fast, but like, mm -hmm. those things don't necessarily interest me, like, to be honest. Yeah, so, yeah. Of all the, and then of course, there's Leo Urban, like the stuff he does, like, again, no, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go that high. I just wouldn't go that high. So I, I, of course, I take inspiration from all these guys, but at the same time, I think the big factor is like they are very very comfortable at heights that I'm not comfortable at, and my 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 um my level of comfort has definitely increased over the last two years, um, but I'm not really like aiming or my goal isn't to be able to like climb higher or um, descend you know, more stories, and it's funny because. I enjoy climbing, ascending way more than descending because I don't have to look down. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't see the height. Yeah, yeah. 
Because okay. it's funny because like I'll I'll do some of these ascents I do I'll do them and it's no problem I'm not scared of the height at all as soon as I get to the top and I look down like oh yeah that's high yeah okay kind of the final series of questions here I'm always curious to know what like a normal training week looks like yeah you a lot which I know is always hard because it's like well there are no normal training weeks <laughs> yeah. like you've got finals you're in Hawaii you're in LA it's different. Um, but I, yeah, I'd like to dig into your training. I guess I have a, another kind of question about how you cross training as well, but, um, yeah, what is, what does a training week look like? Yeah. Um, yeah, I get asked this and I think it surprises people. I only train parkour like once a week. Uh, if I get a second session in, that's really good. Um, but mainly, in LA, we have our Saturday jams. <clears throat> so that's usually the one time of the week that I do train. Um, but it's like we train from 12 to 5. So I I just came off a break and I was training a lot more. But those sessions usually only last two hours, maybe an hour and a half. And so if you clump those all together, I'm doing the same amount of training in one day, basically. Mm-hmm. Um then of course, if I get another day in in the week, then that's even better. But um, <clears throat> my regular week now looks like weight training slash conditioning in the gym three to four times. Okay. Us, uh, you know, the Saturday jam, and then maybe one other session, maybe like an hour and a half, two hours, like in the week, and then. I try to go on some sort of short hike once a week. I'm right next to the mountains, so mm-hmm. try to do that. And then I will try to surf every few weeks. I, I would love to surf once a week, but I'm about an hour away from the beach, so okay. it's a little more challenging. But <clears throat> if I can surf like once a month, that's pretty good. Nice. Um, what does your your strength training and conditioning look like yeah it looks different depending on what season i'm in Mm -hmm. um right now i'm in kind of like a um a functional movement type of training um it's interesting because you know i I follow a lot of these functional movement um, people who are super into that. And I, I watch them and I'm like, I love what you guys are doing and the movements you're doing. But like, that's only good. You're becoming more functional with your body in the gym, but like you're missing the most important thing, was, which is to take it outside. Yeah. And, I, and I watch them like, wow, all those movements are parkour movements, but you're yeah. just doing them to a smaller degree in the gym. Yeah, yeah. I watch a lot of guys who do a lot of mobility and all these things, and they're doing all these like animal style movements. I'm like, wow, that's great. Like if you started doing parkour, you would be great, but you stop at the gym. The mentality, after the mentality. Uh, Who are some of the the functional movement kind of inspirations for you? Yeah, uh, right now I follow, uh, there are are a couple, uh, shoot. I think they're called uh, 
Uh, I think their names are Jay and Rose. Hmm. Okay. The guy is Jay. Oh, I guess that's just his name. Jay Rose Bay Six, but him and his wife, they do a lot of like movement and mobility and they both follow me. So okay. I would love I would love to just be like, guys, <laughs> come do some parkour. Come do some parkour. Like everything you're doing is is like I love it. Like you're really preaching this to an audience who they obviously they just need to move, but like if you really want to like fully embrace what you're teaching, you need to do it outside. You need to do parkour. You need to be interacting <clears throat> with the environment. Otherwise you're kind of just like, you're kind of just limited. You're limiting yourself to a space. And so I've been using more functional, functional movements now to see, you know, what kind of carryover those have. Because again, I watch these guys. I'm like, Oh, these would be such great movements to do if you did parkour. So I'm kind of like taking kind of, inspirations from, from those kettlebell stuff, mace stuff, ground flow stuff, like mobility stuff. Like, can you give me a like what, what like functional? Like I'm thinking functional patterns. Naudi Aguilar. I'm thinking uh, David Weck. I'm thinking DJ Marconi. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like that's actually a huge, a huge, you know, a huge range of things that someone might. Yeah row under yeah. that end yeah 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 I, I do follow david weck i have a a, a rope somewhere um <laughs> do that stuff uh lots of kettlebells it's it's mostly implementing more kettlebells into my training um but i think generally speaking my training is mostly um i think the most accurate term is um power building yeah, yeah. it's uh yeah. Working with kettlebells, doing not just strict uh, snatches and cleans and uh, swings, but doing like interesting patterns and waves and getting into those corners. My favorite guy in that space is my my buddy Cliff Harsky. But there's a lot of people who are kind of taking the kettlebell and exploring its multiplanar. Yeah. Yeah. Finding ways to kind of be more athletic with a kettlebell. Is that kind of what you're doing i think so yeah like there's definitely like parts of the body that you don't really reach doing parkour and uh there's definitely you know in the gym you can you can reach those areas um i think it's safer like what i love about lifting is that to me it's like parkour without the risk of injury (laughs) like i rarely do i like rarely can i say that i've done parkour and have gone a hundred percent Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's like obviously you want to stay within the limits of your body and be safe. Like, but so rarely am I ever going to push myself hundred percent to do something because mm-hmm. I think then the risk of injury is much higher. Whereas in the gym, it's like I can push a hundred percent on any lift and like exert a hundred percent of my force and energy all the time and that i think that's what i love about the thing it's like you don't need to think <laughs> parkour yeah. i'm always thinking i'm always thinking thinking risk thinking. yeah exactly and, and lifting like okay all i have to do is move this weight up and down in in one plane of motion but obviously now doing more kettlebells so more planes of motion but mm-hmm. still it's like yeah 
do your uh do you have any kind of specific goals you're trying to achieve within your strength do you like track metrics like okay my squat is here and i know that's gonna have this impact on my jump my weighted pull up is here and i know that like i need to keep it there in order to be able to have the <laughs> yeah the yeah yeah uh, quick answer is no okay. um like my my weight training is more um i would say it's like in par up part it's like i have the same passion for lifting as i do for parkour mm-hmm. and i definitely do it more now it's just less taxing on, on my my body <clears throat> um but i've talked to ryan ford and he, you know he's the master of like knowing <clears throat> what numbers are you know going to maximize your your performance and he be- he told me that i basically surpassed all i've surpassed all the numbers that would help me in parkour so basically i don't know if that means i'm the most my weight training is like the most optimized but um like goals have always been like deadlift 500 which i've hit um bench 315 and right now i'm like at 280 um and like squat 400 but i'm at 350 right now so your body weight's 170 ish it is now yeah it's 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 normally like 162 165 so yeah so you know 350 is pretty pretty good i i don't think you really need more for for uh from a parkour perspective Um, it's that's it's literally just because i want I want okay. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, so let's back up for a second. So you're, well, let me just ask you, are you going to go back to Hawaii during the off season or have you been going to, back to Hawaii when you're not in school? Yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been going back to my breaks. Yeah. Okay. When you're in Hawaii, does your training change substantially? Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't lift. Okay. So you don't lift when you're in Hawaii. How often do you train parkour when you're in Hawaii? In Hawaii, I train two to three times a week, and I'm also surfing as much as I can, also hiking, also doing calisthenics. So, just it's just a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a couple hours a day, basically, of some kind of physical activity, but it's mixed between trail running, hiking, surfing, calisthenics, and parkour. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that's been fairly typical, like for when you're not in school for maybe the last 10 years or has it varied a lot? Let's say that's pretty typical. Yeah. Pretty typical. But it is different if I'm like, if I don't go to Hawaii, like say if I go to Europe, yeah. I will just do parkour. Yeah. I sure. won't be doing any of the other things unless, you know, someone wants to go on a hike or mm-hmm just became parkour so it, it's yeah. just it's kind of like an on season for a parkour athlete to go on a you know it's like you go to europe to to meet up with parkour people it's like it's like a six-week parkour tournament basically yeah yeah i'm not gonna be doing anything else um okay excellent so i'm i guess the last thing i'm curious about is have you played around with bouldering at all given the style oh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one thing I uh, 
forgot to mention. Um, before parkour, I was a climber. Okay. Um, it was just indoor though, top rope indoor, <clears throat> and my coach was. I was at the point where my coach was like, "Oh, you know, you you have a gift. You can. You should compete." Um, and I was kind of working towards that, but I got bored. <laughs> I got bored of going to the same place, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just moving up and down a plane. And I was like, there's got to be more to this. <laughs> like, and I love climbing. Okay. And I'm, I'm you know, I love climbing, obviously, because you know, that's more of my style now. But I, love that parkour is is a more all-encompassing more holistic form of movement i think the future is like i've seen this in germany um a german guy mark he trains in these gyms where it's a climbing gym and a parkour gym i'm like i think that's the future because i tell people i tell people who are familiar with parkour like parkour is basically a mix of climbing and skateboarding (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I I I like to think of it the opposite way. I think parkour is the the earth sport, right? Rock climbing is just park like bouldering is just parkour where you that you use a really narrow set of obstacles and specialized shoes. Mm-hmm. So it's it's parkour without the jumps. Yeah. Right. And the running. Um surfing is parkour on a board on water. Skiing is parkour. Skateboarding is parkour using a skateboard, right? Because fundamentally, it's all exploratory locomotion. Yeah. But the natural way for us to explore locomotion is with the body mm-hmm. and the environment and and using all of the capacities of the body. The one thing we don't do in parkour is swim. And that's like a major missing thing. Swim and run for long distances. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think for for describing it to the average person, right? It's like, you know, rock climbing plus running, jumping, vaulting is a pretty decent way to imagine taking the vertical and just making it everywhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I've, I've definitely um, been climbing a lot more in the last few years. I'm actually planning to uh, join a gym here and. I, I climbed a lot this past summer. And what I learned was like, oh, actually, like similarly to the way, similarly to why I like lifting, like you, you don't need to think as much mm-hmm. as what I do when I do parkour. Like when I'm climbing, all I need to think about is moving on one plane <laughs> up and down. Um, and it's mad. And it's so I don't need to think. I can just have fun. And I think, yeah, parkour was, it's still, obviously it's still fun to me, but the way I train parkour, it's more of a dis. It's more of a discipline. I'm like, I'm there to master my mind and my body. Yeah, and it, I'm not even necessarily there to have fun. Like, I may not even allow myself that release of dopamine when I achieve something that I want to do. I'm like, oh, you know, it just had to be done. You know, I saw it in my head. <laughs> I've done it in the. Uh, I've done it in the spiritual plane of my mind, and I just need to put my body into that space and carry that motion, that line out physically. Then it becomes, yeah, complete in both in both spheres of the spiritual plane and the physical plane. 
Whereas climbing is like, oh, I'm just here to have fun. Like I'm actually just playing. You know? Yeah, that's great. It's funny. Um, yeah, I think you, I think over time it's really valuable to allow yourself to play in the primary discipline as well. But it's nice if you can pick it up in the other places. I, I, I'm, I've been basically I had a health problem that like it's been it's been something I've been dealing with for seven years, but um. It got particularly bad over the last couple of years. And one thing that happened was that like, I just never felt playful at all, ever. So I like was training and it was always just pure discipline because nothing was fun. Like literally nothing was fun. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm finally healing and it's like such an interesting experience to like be at the gym and be like, I want to do this thing. Not because like it's the discipline or it's the goal or it's the whatever it's just because like that seems fun mm -hmm. uh, i did a ninja warrior competition this weekend um and it was interesting because like going into it i was like I, I chose to do it because the idea was if i get a chance to compete in parkour there's not that many opportunities so i can cross train i can get some competition exposure right yeah it's a nice way to like do some some concentrated work on on building the upper body aspects of the skills yeah um but like going into it i was like at the gym working my parkour skills and i'd go over like on the ninja warrior obstacles and mess around and be like i don't like this i don't want to do i don't want to be constrained to these weird objects that i never experience in real life like why am i doing this to myself and then when i went to the competition it was awesome i had so much fun it was just such a like you know, I'm I'm not a ninja warrior athlete. I'm a parkour athlete, so it's totally a totally just a gas, right? To be like, what is this weird challenge? And like to be out. And the cool thing about the format was like, you don't get to try it, right? So to like show up and have to on site all these weird challenges was yeah. super fun. Um, the the last question I wanted to ask you about the bouldering was: so you've done calisthenics and you've done bouldering. How have you noticed the kind of impact on your expression of strength in parkour when you're more focused on the bouldering versus the calisthenics? And how has it impacted the rest of your parkour training when you're uh, when you're more focused on one or the other? Okay. So bouldering versus calisthenics. Yeah. Or strength work. You know, upper body strength work. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can, like, make it distinction between the two as to how each of them has helped me but like for for sure as a whole like I have full confidence in knowing that my body can hold itself up like with one arm or this and that and I think that's what I love about like climbing park because it requires a level of strength like mm -hmm. I think a lot of parkour it's like if you have if you have the balls you can do it you know yeah, but yeah. it's like climbing it's like yeah you could climb but like as far as safety goes like if you want to be able to do it and be safe like there is a level of strength that i feel like people who want to get into more of i don't know what we call it, climbing parkour like you need to have like you need i feel like you need to be able to do a one-on pull-up like i feel like that's very important like the fact that i know that i can pull myself up with one arm mm -hmm. allows me to do so much more and allows me to climb with so much more confidence knowing that if something does happen 
I will be fine because I can catch myself. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I, I suppose like, you know, doing calisthenics, you know, knowing I can, this, I think even with calisthenics, you, ah, man, it's so hard to measure, but like, I don't know if it requires more strength than climbing, but depending on how you train, mm-hmm. I think climbing hasn't helped me strength wise, except for strength in my fingers. Mm-hmm. I think I was already strong enough doing calisthenics and uh, doing other built the strength of calisthenics. Yeah. Um, what bouldering has brought to my movement has been the finger strength mm-hmm. and um, the ability to adapt my body into more um, more positions. Because when I do parkour, I think my chest is facing whatever obstacle <laughs> I'm trying to get over. But yeah. with climbing, it's not always the case. Sometimes you're wedging yourself and your chest is facing away or this or that. And those are things that I hadn't really like experimented or thought of um, prior to, to climbing as much as I have now. Um, there's a climb I did at UW. Um, Justin Sweeney did it first. Yeah. But I took a slightly different approach. I did a, I guess I think it's called smear, but um, I jumped to a rail and then to this corner and I had to like wedge, I had to jump and like get my body into this sideways position. Whereas before climbing, I probably would have tried to just like cat grab and then like, you know, grab here. And then, you know, I'm facing, my chest is facing whatever it is I'm trying to go. But climbing was helping me like adjust and use my body in different ways and put my fingers into weird like crevices or holes to, to move. Um <clears throat> But yeah, I, I can say for sure, like, the strength that I have allows me to move with so much more confidence. And you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're an animal. I'm like, well, like, a lot of it is just strength. Like, if you were just, if you were just, like, a little stronger, like, you can do this, too. You're just not there yet. It's interesting. So the reason I asked that question is because... The question is like, what's the optimal way to develop strength, right? Like, uh, you've probably observed this, but like, you know, Ryan and I talk about this a lot. There's a lot of really high level parkour athletes who never weight lift and they come in like on the first day, they'll deadlift one and a half, even two times body weight, right? Yeah. It's like the, the strength came through the the primary sport. So one of the basic rules that I kind of follow in my thinking with Evolve Move Play is this rule of like always train at the highest level of complexity that allows you to get the adaptation that you're seeking. Mm-hmm. As you get more specific with adaptations and you get higher up the like the, the hierarchy of what you're trying to achieve, you have to have like more carved and specific training. But if you try to like just start at like highly specific, you're not going to get the same adaptations. So like a thought experiment I give is imagine some like take two identical brothers who start with the ability to do five pull-ups and climb like a V2. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them trains only in the bouldering gym. He just goes in and does the hardest bouldering routes that he can do, you know, three days a week for an hour and a half. The other goes in and does like an, a calisthenics workout for the same amount of time, focused on trying to build up his pull-ups. Yeah. So at the end of the year, both can do more pull-ups, right? Theoretically, both get a little bit stronger at the climbing. 
but who does the other one's stuff better? Yeah. My sense is the boulder is going to be much closer to achieving the amount of pull-ups that the pull-up uh, brother has than vice versa. Yeah. And, and more than that, the boulder would also be better at parkour. Yeah. Right. He could do stuff. He could adapt. You know, he has more overall kinesthetic intelligence to, to apply to something. So, you know, obviously it depends on where, just where you spent your time in the beginning of your journey, what's going to do it. But that's why I asked that question. Cause I think, right. Like getting a one arm pull up, should you just do pull-ups or maybe you should like do a bunch of climbing of a variety. And then once you are getting close in the journey, then you go and you like put your dedicated time that's specific to that. Cause you're not going to get, a one-arm pull-up really without dedicated work. But I think you can get 15 pull-ups without ever doing a pull-up. I think you can do just from climbing. Yeah. Yeah, what's your sense for that? And then I'll, I'll let you go. I know we're running yeah. away. No, 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 it's all good. Um, <clears throat> uh, Sorry, can you repeat the question in my mind? I mean, so I was just laying out the theory that we work with. And I was just curious if it accords with your experience, right? Having been around a lot of boulders, a lot of rock climbers, a lot of parkour athletes, a lot of surfers, right? Like, do you see this trend that that we can get a lot of highly developed physical qualities through very complex, chaotic, freeform sports? But there is a point at which we have to add that ancillary training. And yeah. the interesting thing is how do we balance that? Like not doing so much of it that's actually taking away from our primary sport um, and choosing when the appropriate time is to bring that in. And so, yeah, yeah. Just, your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Those are definitely, you know, things I, I think about, um, you know, yeah, exactly. Like what, what is the optimal way for me to train weight training that way it carries over. And I think I'm past that. I just like, I just lift cause I like lifting. I do parkour cause I like doing parkour. I, I trail run cause I like to trail and I surf cause I like to surf, surf because, but I do see like everything carrying over into everything else. And um, as far as like, you know, the one I'm pull up question, I never really trained them like mm. um one day I, I could just do it. Um <laughs> uh, but that's pretty beastly. Um I, I've had that experience. Like um Tyson Checo co-founded uh parkour visions with me. Like he just did a lot of rock climbing, a lot of parkour, and it was like, okay, let's train to do uh one arm pull-up. So then we we did like three weeks of weighted pull-ups and he had it, you know. Yeah. Justin Sweeney, we got in his one arm pull up pretty soon. I cannot do a one arm pull up. <laughs> I'm also 220, so it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. I think a lot of like like one arm pull up, front lever, back lever, like I was all I never like trained those moves specifically. It was more like I would just do calisthenics and then I was like, oh, let me see where my front lever is. And I'm like, oh, okay, here. And then eventually one day I could just do it and I'd be like, oh. It just clicked. Something just clicked. And I was like, oh, I just needed to engage this part of my body or this or that. Um, so, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I think for me is it's just a matter of 
moving and and moving in in as many different forms as you can and just enjoying the process and and the carryover from each discipline is going to carry over for sure like within parkour within bouldering climbing everything else um i wouldn't say at least now like i'm past the point of doing other things to specifically impact my parkour it's more so i do these things because i enjoy them and i know they will somehow make these other movements better um nice that's a good place to be so um yeah got to wrap up now it was really fun to chat and get a chance oh. to work together matt um it's just um uh, Jang on instagram that's pretty much the only place that people can find you right yeah part yeah parkour.jang yep, yeah there you go i'm still for the love of the city on on youtube i think that's going to change in a few weeks but okay so there the youtube might be revived good to know um excellent and uh yeah really thanks for your insights and sharing your journey yeah of course yeah i appreciate uh coming on and asking me these questions and it, it definitely helps i enjoy this because it helps me formulate answers that i don't necessarily think i have <laughs> like if i'm just like out and about you know absolutely thank you matt bye-bye yeah.